Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. So we are starting a new series this morning. I don't know how long it's going to go, probably three weeks about Christian happiness. But let's uh, just get right to it and uh, pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. Thank you for the season. God, thank you for all these people who have come out to hear your word, to be warmed by your spirit. They could stay home. They could be under blankets, but they chose to come out to hear your voice. And I pray that they would do so. God, I do believe that you are calling all of your people into a happiness that we do not even uh, totally comprehend or know. But I pray that we can taste a little bit this morning grip onto a little bit more today. God, for those who are hurting and suffering, those who are in grief, cover them. God, for those who are struggling in anxiousness, burdened by their work, I pray that you would lift their heads. In all ways, God, we are sinners and we need the Spirit to speak to us, speak to our hard hearts. We know he will do this because he loves us, because you love us, because Jesus loves us. It is in his name we ask this. Amen. It is a Christian duty, C.S. Lewis once wrote, for everyone to be as happy as he can. Let's say that again. It is a Christian duty for everyone to be as happy as he or she can. Now, if you are like me, you can take that one of two ways depending on the day, depending on how you're feeling that day. Maybe that call to happiness, dutiful happiness, comes to you as a great hope. Maybe happiness, we say, is actually possible. Or on a different day or a different week or even a different year, maybe your whole life, perhaps that is a burden to you. Is happiness actually possible, we say? But whatever your condition, whoever you are, whatever you are going through right now, I think that we can say ground-level happiness is something that we all want, that you want. It is what I want. It may be the strongest motivation on the earth, stronger even than finding love or finding out what our purpose is. The great theologian Augustine said this, Every man, whatsoever his condition, desires to be happy. Blaise Pascal, a philosopher, mathematician, said famously, All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Puritan Robert Croft said, All men and women, you can always add men and women, naturally desire happiness. All their plots, purposes, and endeavors aim at this end only. George Whitfield, one of the greatest evangelists of all time, is actually buried in Newburyport. 
He said this. He said, it is the end of religion to make men and women happy, and it is everyone's privilege to be as happy as he can. Happiness is, for those Christians, for Christians across the millennia, the goal of life. It is the thing that motivates us over all other things to be happy, to find happiness. But listen, it is not just Christians who say that. It's not just Christians. For example, the great philosopher Aristotle said this, happiness then is something final and self-sufficient and in and is the end of action. The end of action. Charles Darwin, the famed biologist, said this, all sentient beings have been formed so as to enjoy, as a general rule, happiness. Finally, William James, philosopher, psychologist, how to gain, how to know, how to keep happiness is, in fact, for most men at all times, the secret motive of all they do and of all they are willing to endure. Happiness. Williams, the Webster's Dictionary defines happiness as the state of being happy. It is pleasure, contentment, satisfaction, cheerfulness, merriment, gaiety, joy, joyfulness, joviality, delight, good spirits, lightheartedness, and well-being. No one says to all that stuff, I don't want that. We want that. We want that. Every, nearly every philosopher and theologian has said that finding happiness is what drives us. Pascal, the guy that we said before, said that even those who commit the most heinous of crimes do it in an effort to find and grasp joy. Now the question, of course, is have we found it? I'm preaching this today because we have not. Not fully, not totally. It seems the greatest conundrum in the history of the universe that this thing that we long for is the thing that is hardest to come by. Psychiatrist Paul Mayer says that even those who seem to have it all cannot grasp this thing, this most basic of desires. He says this, I have had millionaire businessmen come into my office and tell me they have big houses, yachts, condominiums, nice children, a beautiful mistress an unsuspecting wife, secure corporate positions, and suicidal tendencies. They have everything this world has to offer except one thing, inner peace and joy. John Lennon, at the height of his fame with the Beatles, wrote to a Christian evangelist. This is true. After quoting from the song, Can't Buy Me Love, he wrote, It's true. The point is this, I want happiness. I don't want to keep on with drugs. Explain to me what Christianity can do for me. Is it phony? Can he, capital H, love me? I want out of hell. Someone asked the famous and great folk singer Bob Dylan if he had ever touched and held happiness. He replied, well, we all do at certain points, but It's like water. It slips through your hands. Is that what it's like for you? It is for me. I struggle to be consistently happy. I struggle for consistent joy and cheerfulness. I chose this series in part for myself. 
but also because of what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is truly astonishing. We are, as Lewis said, commanded to seek out our joy. We are commanded to be delighted, cheerful, and happy. And the reason that I can say that is because happiness is actually like water, just like Bob Dylan said. But it is not water that we must try to grip on with our hands. It is a water that we must find. The true source of happiness is not something that we can grip and, and put into buckets. It is a, a source of happiness that we must find, get down our, on our knees, plant ourselves in, and drink to our heart's delight. It is bountiful, unending, and it is for us. Now that's what Psalm 1 teaches. We're starting with my favorite psalm. This is the front door of all the psalms. It's the one that gets us entry into the rest of this book. And this book, if you, if you know what the psalms are about, they basically define, they outlay what our relationship is, what it should look like with God. It, it's a book about how you can learn how to interact with your maker. And it is so amazing that it begins this way. Look at Psalm 1-1. Wonderful news. It says, blessed is the man, again, every time you see man, I want you to put woman there too. Blessed is the man or the woman. Now we need to stop there. Let's not move on. Blessed is the man. What does that word blessed mean? We see that also in the Gospels. We did the series on the Beatitudes a couple years ago. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. Blessed are those who mourn, he said. What does blessed mean? It means something good, something all-encompassing. Now, what if I told you that we need to probably stop using that word? I, you will, I will never ever tell you about any other thing in the Bible where, well, there's a bad, this is a bad translation. I'm only saying that we need to change it because I don't know if we understand that word. That word is, is, like, is a Bible word. And in reality, what this author means is happiness. Happiness. Happy is the man. Here's how one Old Testament dictionary defines this word. How happy. It's a heightened state of happiness and joy, implying very favorable circumstances and enjoyment. Blessedness is hard to define and to grasp, but happiness, we know what that is. What it feels like. And I just want you to marvel at this, revel in this, this opening section of the Psalms, how you relate to God, says you are to be happy. Blessed are you. Happy are you. You are made for this. We went to the Museum of Fine Arts a couple of weeks ago, and my son found a painting. It's his favorite painting there now. It is called the expulsion from the Garden of Eden. It is a beautiful thing. You should go see it. Just sit in front of it. And what's interesting about this by a guy named Thomas Cole is that it's a painting where the, the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the Garden is depicted, but in, in a landscape. It's one of the first landscapes ever done. And so if you look at it, it's a very big painting, but Adam and Eve are tiny, just little, little tiny people, and they're coming out of this gate and you cannot miss it. On one side, it's just beautiful, brilliant, amazing landscape. And contrastingly, darkness. Where they are walking into is bleak, sad, despairing. We know that Adam and Eve were not created for that dark side. They are created for the other side. And so we are 
to as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve created in God's image, we are created for Eden, for happiness, for joy. But not just that. It's not as though we have lost it. This psalm is calling God's people back to it. We are called back to joy. That's what this is. It is an entrance. Happy is the man. Happy is the woman. We know, but Paul says this too. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Psalm 37, 4. Seek your happiness in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desire. Psalm 68, 3 puts it so clearly. May the righteous give you your heart. Sorry. May the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. And then, of course, to top all of this off, we know that Jesus came to give this to us. He came into the darkness to bring us deep, lasting, cheerful joy. He says this, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. We are made for and called to happiness. This promise, this very clear promise in the Bible led St. Francis of Assisi to say this, let us leave sadness to the devil and his angels. As for us, what can we be but rejoicing and glad? We are not just designed and called to happiness. I think that what the psalmist is doing is also trying to lift our heads to get us to try to change what we are aiming for. For to believe that we have not actually sought out happiness deeply enough. One of the reasons that I think that we are so unhappy is because we have depended on the world to satisfy us and we have found it wanting. We're going to talk about that more in a second, but we can just say this right now. Listen, we live better than kings did 200 years ago, we live as kings today. And as David Foster Wallace, the author, said, we are more miserable than ever. And part of the reason for this is that we have not sought happiness deeply enough. We have not gone far enough. We are far too easily pleased, C.S. Lewis said. One of my favorite quotes, he says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So many of us live in the status quo. We go from day to day, commute to commute, diaper to diaper, weekend to weekend, soccer practice to soccer practice and begin to believe that happiness is not actually for us, but we must turn this on its head. We must lift our heads and seek a happiness that honestly is, feels improbable, feels unattainable, and seems too good to be true. And yet that is what is offered. We need to be like Jonathan Edwards, another Massachusetts theologian. He said this, he challenged himself early on in his life and said, I am resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I am capable of. 
We are created, destined for happiness. Now, it's interesting if you read beyond the how, how happy is the man, blessed is the man, it immediately goes negative. It warns us first, here is what can sap your happiness. Are we going to read that together? Here is what will make us unhappy, Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, you can dwell on each of these separately, but I do think that this is something of a path. It's It's a journey that you can go on into unhappiness, away from what God has called us to, into that thing that we are not meant to to touch, to believe, to live in. The starting point is that you listen to the wicked, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And I think that what this says simply is that you believe, you begin to hear the lie and believe the lie that you can be happy apart from God. The foundations of unhappiness are formed when we listen to the world's answers for happiness and reject God's. We reject Him altogether. We say, I can be happy apart from Him. That's what the world is telling me. That's what wickedness is telling me. And I believe it. It says things like this, do you want to be happy? then you need more money. Do you want to be happy? Well, you need a better job. Do you want to be happy? Well, you need a lot more self-esteem. Do you want to be happy? Well, you, you don't need God or the Lord or Jesus or any of that stuff. When Joe Theismann, the NFL quarterback, explained why he committed adultery, he said, God wants Joe to be happy. That is not counsel from God. And it's counsel from the wicked. Unhappiness begins when you believe that you can be happy apart from the Lord. We need to ask ourselves, who are we listening to? Who are we listening to to find our happiness? So the next stage is right after that, that you go from listening to the world's promises of happiness to putting them in to action. Yes, I can do this. I can live apart from the Lord, and we begin to live in sin. Blessed, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners. This is a person who is standing on that other side. He's crossed the line. She's crossed the line. She's standing in the way. She's living out that life. And listen, sin at first feels good, doesn't it? Standing with sinners is a high and I think that it makes you believe just a little bit that, yes, that, that is going to be the path to happiness. That's what's going to get me there. If we just keep at it, if we just keep digging, if we just get some more money or success or power or whatever it is, we will finally be happy. Now, this leads to deep unhappiness. Why? Because of the person who is searching for joy, like this, is searching for joy in a place where they will never actually find it. Say you come upon a guy on a beach and he's digging up the sand furiously. You ask him, what are you doing? What are you digging for? And he says back to you, well, I really love the great works of art and so I'm digging to find some. I hope to eventually find the Mona Lisa buried here. You would be astounded. You would laugh and probably think he was insane. Now, if you found out that he had given up all of his money, his family, and his friends to get it, you would pity him. 
This is, in a, in a way, what we do to ourselves. When we seek things other than God to bring us joy. The Bible, of course, of course calls this idolatry. The men's Bible study is going through Tim Keller's counterfeit gods, and Tim Keller says this, to live for anything else but God leads to breakdown and decay. When a fish leaves water, which he was built for, he's not free, but dead. Worshiping other things cannot deliver satisfaction because they were never meant to be gods. They were never meant to replace God. Friends, there is a straight line between unhappiness and those who place all of their hope only in loving family relationships, only in sports or politics, health and fitness, comfort, food and drink, wealth, sex, supportive friendships, meaningful work, and on and on. These are wonderfully good things, meant to be enjoyed and reveled in, but they are not meant to be God replacers. And so it is, of course, a great loss when we discover that the things that we thought would bring us happiness do not actually make us happy. But listen, there's an underbelly to this also. Idolatry doesn't just mean that we won't be happy because those things don't make us happy. We will take those good things and make them into unhappy things. We will rob the good things in our life of their joy if we make them into gods. T.S. Lewis puts it this way, The woman who makes a dog the center of her life loses, in the end, not only her human usefulness and dignity, but even the proper pleasure of dog-keeping. The man who makes alcohol his chief good loses not only his job, but his very palate. Happiness is undercut by our happiness is undercut by listening to the wicked, by taking the counsel from the wicked, by crossing over that line and standing in the way of sinners. But then the psalmist offers this last thing. This one last thing happens. Scoffing. Blessed, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. What does that mean to scoff? The word in the Hebrew means something like scorner, mocker, derider, and I think this is someone who has given themselves fully over into sin. They have found it wanting, of course, but now they are so deep, they are so gone, that they are cynical, gloomy, self loathing. They enter into this vicious cycle of self-talk, a self-talk that is self-fulfilling and self-determining. Life is miserable, we can say to ourselves. I will never be happy. God does not love me. I am not loved. And then, so your life goes. Happiness. I will not have it, and therefore I am unhappy. What do you say to yourself? What do you say to others? You scoff at them, or do you revel in the goodness, the blessings of God, the promises of His life? The psalmist, of course, does not just want us to end at what can sap our happiness. He wants to point us to the true source. This is not the only thing that will make us happy just to avoid sin. No, we must replace what is there. So verse 2, 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In 1937, there was a study started by the uh, University of Harvard, can, actually continues to this day. Thousands of people were selected to be followed, to be interviewed, to be studied over time as they lived their life. And it was a study designed to try to figure out what helped people to thrive the most, what, people, what gave people happiness. And so this has been going on for 80 years, 70, 80 years. What is the thing... The common thing among all people that brings them happiness. Now, you might expect them to find a lot of different things. Oh, money or fame. No, only one thing. They've only really determined one thing gives people a certain measure of happiness. Something that leads them to lead longer and better lives. And what they discovered is that it's relationships. Connection to other People, people who have deep and meaningful connections with spouses, friends, children, parents, siblings, tended to live longer and be happier. Now listen, it's not a one-to-one. It's not if you have good relationships, therefore you will be happy. Some of those people were not happy. But we need to see that and understand that that is a gift from God pointing us to the true reality. Yes, the deepest of problems, but also the greatest of solutions. That we are meant to be in relationship, yes, with each other, but mainly with the Lord. He delights in the law of the Lord. This is his connection to the Lord. Friends, we are meant to know God, to trust him, depend on him, be filled by him, love him, and be loved by him. As the psalmist says, we are meant to delight in him and be nourished by Him. Psalm 1611 says that at the right hand of God are infinite pleasures, pleasures forevermore, and they are for us. Let's just notice two things about this, about this last section. First, we are dependent creatures. We need God. To be happy, we must plant ourselves in the source of happiness in God Himself. We cannot find happiness apart from the Lord. The best marriages and careers, the greatest amounts of money and things and fame cannot bring us what we want, but the Lord can. That's what He promises to us. The Creator of all those things says, if you will look to me and delight in me, I will give you the desires of your heart and the desires for you to be happy. His promise is that as we delight in our relationship with Him, He will grow us. He will satisfy us. He will nurture us. We cannot run from His presence the second that we do. We fall off. We must remain close. Now, here's the second thing. This is a promise. This is a promise for us despite our circumstances. Happiness can come to us, and we can live in happiness despite our circumstances. I want you to notice very clearly that the psalmist never says anything about what is happening in our lives. He does not say if you want to be happy, then you need to have the right life. No, he points to sin. He does not point to grief or pain or anxiety. 
He does not say that we will be unhappy until we get the good life. No, happiness is available to us now, no matter the situation or time. Consider the tree. Look at the tree. Think about the tree. The tree, it says, lives and survives and flourishes because of the stream. The stream. Now think about what that tree can go through. There will be brutal times of weather, raging storm. Actually, when I think about this, I think about this tree living in the wickedness, and I think about it in a, in a, in a, in a land of a forest fire, surrounded by fire, and yet the tree keeps producing fruit, continually sustained. And so the Christian, Christian faith paints this beautiful and honest picture of life on earth. We will have hard times. We are honest about that. We understand that. And yet we can also be happy. Paul said famously that he was always sorrowful, always rejoicing. Now, that's not surprising that he was sorrowful. That part's not surprising. Right before that verse, 2 Corinthians 6, he says that he survived afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, and on and on. I'm sorrowful, always sorrowful. That makes sense to us. And yet he said in the same breath that he was always rejoicing, yet he would rejoice. Why? If you read him, if you know him, you know what his relationship was like with the Lord. He had a deep and profound happiness and cheerfulness that even the worst circumstances could interfere with because he was connected to the Lord. He lived in such close proximity to him. He was attached to him, planted so deeply, nourished so greatly that nothing could bring him down not prison, not the threat of being beheaded. Nothing could dissuade him from trusting his God with great cheerfulness. Now the question is, is that happiness for you too? Or was he just a weirdo? I hope not. Is this something that you can grab and hold and have not like water that you grip with your hands, but a luscious and vibrant stream you must simply find and drink from. Is that for you? Jesus came to die so that you may have it. I came, to, I came that you may have life and have it to the full, John 10, 10 says. Or my youth pastor telling me that verse. Be happy, Ryan. Jesus came that you may have life and have it to the full today. He tells us that today. That's why he came. That's why he died to bring us joy. He was unmoored from that place near God, his connection to the Lord, his connection to the streams of the Spirit and the Father. He lost all of his happiness up on that cross. He died a miserable sinner's death and lost all of his joy so that we might find again our connection with the Lord, that stream to be planted in for all time, for all joy. It is a Christian duty, C.S. Lewis said, for everyone to be as happy as he can.
That is a calling that I look forward to, and I hope that you're with me. Let's pray. God, we now enter uh, this next phase of worship where we celebrate communion, where we celebrate your life and your death, and it is meant to be happy. It is meant to be a happy occasion that you have welcomed us by your blood. You've welcomed us by your blood to eat and drink and live and be happy. Oh, but Lord, we need your help. So many of us are unhappy. So many of us do not, have not experienced what Paul experienced, what some, so many of those early Christians did. Happiness seems to be beyond our reach. May we not be cynical, though. May this morning, may we be invigorated to see you and know you and believe that you have something that is so great for us. Lord, I believe that you have this for us right now because we need to be a people again who have this, in, this unbelievable joy. We need to show the world our joy. That is our light. That despite our circumstances, despite what is happening to us, yet we may be happy. May the world see that. And as Peter said, then they will come knocking. What is the hope that we have, the happiness, the joy that we have? May they see it. May we have it. In Jesus' name, amen.